In the words of T.S. Eliot, this is the way the world ends, not with a bang, but a whimper. Well, sit back, grab yourself a cup of coffee or whatever it is that you're into. You're listening to America Emboldened with Greg Bolden, and let's get emboldened. America Emboldened. Greg, I feel emboldened. You don't know the founding fathers. You don't know what they do. You don't know what they sacrifice. We have lost touch with the principles in the Constitution. Nobody's read the Declaration of Independence. You are voting for socialism, and you got what you voted for. Tonight we have, returning to the show for the first time in just over a year, is the suspicious observer himself, Ben Davidson. Now, Ben is one of my favorite shows that I did back December of 2020, 2022, where listeners started writing into me kind of like, that was really interesting. I've never heard about the earth catastrophe cycle. What is this Adam and Eve story? I've since actually covered that on an episode just about a month ago, knowing that I was bringing Ben back on. I wouldn't have known about Chan Thomas and the Adam and Eve story if it wasn't for my guest. It was Ben that really brought that to the forefront, that document from the CIA that was uh, declassified. We're going to get into a ton of great conversation tonight. He's an expert. If you don't know him already in solar cycles. He has been talking about the Earth's magnetic pole shift now for some time, the disaster cycle of our planet. Also an expert in geophysics, and he's well-educated in law and a bunch of other avenues as well. A polymath would be the best way that I could explain him. So Chris Michaels, you did not get to be a part of that conversation the first time. I'm excited for you to get to meet Ben and get some of your questions as well and give it a fresh perspective on all this. How you doing? I'm doing pretty good. I mean, this is fantastic stuff because, I mean, you and I have spoken about this kind of material plenty of times in the past on and off the record. Well, I, I got to be I got to be upfront with you. The only reason you and I have had the opportunity to speak about this stuff is I've been following this guy's work since before my daughter was born. My daughter's 12 years old, and it's been a long time that I've been following his YouTube channel, The Suspicious Observers, which, by the way, if you guys go to that, use a zero instead of an O for observers. And we'll be highlighting that a little bit later this show. Let's bring them straight up. Let's not keep people waiting. Let's, oh. let's rock and roll. Ben Davidson, how you doing, brother? Doing fantastic. How are you guys? Doing wonderful, man. Never had a bad day in my life. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's, it's about what we uh, manifest into this world, right? If, if, I've, sure. if I say I've never had a bad day, I've never had a bad day. We're going to keep it positive, keep it light today. Ben, uh, it's, a lot's been happening over the last 13 months since we last spoke. We are Correct. seeing more and more stories right now in the news media about solar flares being launched at earth. Each time I see these posts by people like Dom Lucra on X being sensationalized and going out there like the world's about to end because there's a huge solar wind coming our way. I laugh because I've been following your work for all this time. Why is it that people that are not familiar with solar winds, solar cycles, why is it right now people have fear and they're pushing out this narrative that the sun is about to end the earth any day now? I have two hypotheses and I have no idea which one of them is correct. First idea is that this is kind of something that happens when people first get into space weather and solar activity. Uh, the first time they start to see the sun acting up a little bit, they're like, oh, wait a minute. I've read about this. I've heard about this. This could be it. This could be the one. And they get overly excited, not realizing that. Solar flares of 
small to moderate magnitude happen fairly regularly. It's the really, really big one that we're worried about. That one I can understand, and I suppose even forgive as well. The one I'm worried about is whether or not this is a concerted cry-wolf effort so that when something actually terrible happens with the sun, nobody pays attention to it. And I wouldn't put that past the powers that be either. Neither would I. I mean, I'm looking right now, Chris Michaels and I had John Warner the fourth on the show several months ago, and he's been talking about disclosure of aliens and talking about what the government's prepping for. And Chris and I often talk about, we don't really believe that what's going to be disclosed is actually the truth whatsoever. And I feel like you're over the target with, are they putting this type of information out there right now? So people don't take it serious when it's time to take it actually serious. So that way, are they even taking it serious now? They basically came out and told us aliens were real. UFOs are real. And nobody cared. No, literally. I mean, people were posting about it, this and that, but nobody freaked out. Nobody stopped going to work. It was amazing. Like we actually got to the point where they can tell us aliens are real and literally nobody cares. So, I mean, unless they're like ET and they're going to hide in my closet, I'm not sure I even care if they're not bothering me, let them be, you know, if ET is going to come in my closet, that's pretty damn cool. I'm down with that. Yeah. Send them in, get my Reese's pieces. I'll be, I'll be set for life. So Ben, with the stories that are coming out, another thing that, that I've been hearing about is billionaires building bunkers. Now, when you and I last spoke, we talked a bit about the earth catastrophe cycle and you hadn't defined as well as you've defined uh, over the last year and a half, this idea that the earth tilts at a 90 degree turn. Like we talked about that, but we didn't get into woolly mammoths and everything else. I know you just did a video on it today, which people can check out on your X page at sun weatherman. I'm curious, what data are you looking at over the last year? That's kind of fresh and new. That's really reinvigorating your perspective on what we're going to go through. <clears throat> so there are a couple of things. I, I, one, I realized that just how many ancient religious stories and, and other historical accounts discuss things like the earth turning over and how every catastrophist for the last couple of centuries seems to come to that one point that something happens like a pole shift where the earth literally turns and we get these great waves from the ocean because of it. Uh, then I read World in Peril by Ken White, where not only did his father, Major Maynard E. White, break the law and keep classified documents from the mission, from the Pentagon meetings afterwards, which expressly say the earth tilts over 90 degrees and showed bunches of the evidence from it. But this part about the mammoths, this is something that nobody needs to do research. You don't need to go look at the data. You don't need to try to recreate the math from the Rand Corporation. You don't need to go read 10 different religious texts. It's just so blatantly obvious when you think about the the mammoth evidence for this. And you know everybody when they when they he, they learn about the frozen mammoths with food undigested in their mouths and stomachs, they're overly consumed with the mystery of how do you freeze a mammoth so quickly? And that is an amazing mystery. But they also forget the, the critical point which I as you mentioned I was I was discussing this earlier today. These mammoths ate an unbelievable amount of vegetation, like hundreds and hundreds of pounds, maybe more than a thousand pounds every day. Where they found these mammoths, 
there is not enough vegetation to support them. And we are at, we are 12,000 years into a warm interglacial cycle. These mammoths were frozen in a much colder glacial cycle. There was no food for them there at all. So how were they surviving in these areas? And the answer is that they weren't. They weren't near the polar region. They were at much lower latitudes where there was vegetation. And then the poles shifted. They got thrust to the Arctic. And then they froze. That still doesn't necessarily answer all the questions about how they froze so quickly. But the mammoths are, are, are a two-part mystery. How do you freeze them so quickly? And what in the world were they supposed to be eating? up at that high latitude if it was so cold. I mean, like I said, there's not enough food for them there right now. Definitely not during a glacial cycle. And the only explanation is that they were at lower latitudes and their part of the world tilted up to the Arctic. So <laughs> what I was going to say is, I agree with you 100% on all of that. My dad got his bachelor's in paleontology, I believe. And I remember seeing stories and seeing photos of dinosaurs with food in their stomachs or dinosaur skin. So how on earth did that happen? We're supposed to believe that these things were just, they just keeled over and were flash frozen or which this is what I believe. He couldn't necessarily explain anything close to that. Or have you seen the ruins in Turkey of Chattelhoyak? Have you heard about those? You may or may not. The, yeah. the name sounds familiar. I, I mean, I, I've seen and looked at a lot. I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so basically, Chattelhoyuk should not exist. It's it goes too far back for mainstream science and mainstream timelines, and it's at an elevation that shouldn't that that a civilization like this should not should not even have occurred. And huh. if that's the case, well, go ahead. No, no, no. That's no. If that's the case, then that also coincides with quite possibly there could have been a civilization that's a lot older than anyone wants to admit to, and suffered from yeah. the same fate every six thousand years that you bring up. Yeah, I'm a big believer that there were ancient civilizations that yes. were as advanced, possibly more advanced than us. One of my favorite examples is there is a temple that they had to dig out in India that was completely yeah. covered in sediment. But when they dug it out, you know, there's these huge granite columns. Hmm. And when you bang on each of the columns, they resonate at specific frequencies. And it's in a specific pattern as you go from column to column to column, what frequencies they resonate at. We don't know how to make a column of granite do that today. Right. And, right. And, you know, not only did they know how to do it back then, but they, managed to make it in this perfectly mathematical, musical pattern. We have no idea what that is. Very interesting. Have you ever heard of Michael Tellinger? Yeah. Okay, so you've heard of his ringing stones? Yeah. He found all over South Africa? I mean, I think mm -hmm. that's a perfect example of all of that. It's stunning yeah. what, what these people did. And probably in some areas, they probably still have this, this technology that they're able to do it again. I think one of the most fascinating things that was brought up on that podcast you did was sonoluminescence. I've known about it, but I'm glad other people have brought it up too because that also validates, in a way, is the sun actually sitting in some kind of matter that is partially liquid and you have frequencies beaming and intersecting at these points that are in some kind of alignment with the rest of the galaxy. So it's very yeah, interesting it to think about. If you want more on the sun being actually a liquid metallic hydrogen, 
Yeah. I mean, they already know there's water there. There's a YouTube channel called Sky Scholar. It's by Dr. Pierre-Marie Robitaille. That man blows my mind. (laughs) Uh, He he was the world's best radiologist. He broke the world record for nuclear magnetic resonance. With uh, He was the first person to put eight Tesla magnets in in an MRI machine. They all told him, you're going to fry people's brains. And he said, no, I'm not. And he's turned his incredible knowledge of that thermodynamic physics world onto the sun and the stars. And this guy, yeah, you got it up on the screen right there. This guy is amazing. He, he, I don't promote many YouTube channels on on my channel. I, I I'm friends with Jimmy Corsetti, bright insight. I promoted Tim pool's channel and videos when he had, when he was kind enough to invite me on, I promote every single video Dr. Robitaille does over at Sky Scholar. He's absolutely amazing. Amazing. That is fantastic. I'm curious, Ben, what role would plasma from the sun have in flash freezing? You just bring us back to that really quickly because I saw you mention that earlier, but I, that wasn't connecting dots for me. So whether it's directly from the sun or it's a discharge of plasma from the earth after taking in so much energy, Plasma can heat or plasma can cool. You can just spend a couple of minutes. And you know, once you get in deep into the details, it might require some advanced math or physics skills. But just spending a few minutes, even on a search engine like Google, and you type in plasma cooling, you can find that they have they have a quite a bit of knowledge about how the application of plasma can sometimes heat and there are ways it can cool sometimes very rapidly. In fact, the way that humans created the coldest thing in the universe, just a few trillionths of a degree above absolute zero was they saturated it in a magnetized gas. So plasma cooling is that that's, that's a great article you've got on the screen right now. Probably one of, you know, a few dozen you could find just in a quick search And so this is absolutely a thing. And this is one of my favorite hypotheses for how the mammoths could have been frozen so quickly. After the earth took in a massive amount of plasma from the sun and the direct sun to earth plasma creates heating, but earth's a capacitor. If it gets charged up too much, takes in too much, it will discharge that. And it would be a very expansive thing. And just like how expanding air cools, uh, I could see the mammoths being in that discharge area of the plasma that had been taken in from the earth. And that could be one of the ways that it was instantly frozen in time. It's very possible. I had a dream maybe like four or five years ago that blew me away. In my dream, all of a sudden I woke up and everything was inverted. The The sun was rising in the west and setting in the east in my dream. And there was military all around and the sky also had this really odd haze. The sun was a different color. And I believe that we should pay attention to our dreams, not because everything comes identically true in all of them, but I really believe our subconscious picks up on a lot of things that maybe our awake consciousness does not. And I know that there are stories in the Bible that talk about this as well. And you referenced earlier, other religions have the same type of prospect If the earth were to rotate at a 90 degree turn, my West right now would be, 
I guess at that point, my North or my South, correct? It, it depends. And it's not going to be the same everywhere on earth. Cause remember to take a ball and turn it 90 degrees, the, there's some parts that are going to go 90 degrees, but the parts on the side here, they're not changing latitude at all. They're just spinning. And so that's why there are some stories of the sun rising on the wrong side, but there are other stories in parts of the world of the sun standing still in the sky or the long night that they feared was never going to end. And so it's, it's the kind of thing where it really depends. Everywhere on Earth will experience a different amount of tilt and turn. Hmm. I still, you know, when we last spoke, I said, okay, what's my best way here on the East Coast to get out of this thing? So I go up to the Appalachia and you were laughing at me and you said, I hope you have a good boat. <laughs> and then I started like in my mind playing it through. I mean, really, there's there's no way to be properly prepared for this outside of getting to a high elevation and getting into a cave and going up to a high elevation and having some type of bunker system that you can get back out of while still at high elevations. Because the water, ironically, like Mark Zuckerberg building a bunker in Hawaii is hilarious to me because the guy, right? I mean, whatever his oxygen supply is, I guess, you know, it will be like that movie uh, Space Camp back in the 80s. They'll run out of oxygen slowly. Some of the elites, some of the billionaires are building in the correct places. Okay. The best example is Jeff Bezos, but there are so many of them that are just doing absolutely nonsensical things. And it makes you realize some people aren't getting the whole story. Some people are getting pieces of the story. And just think about it. If you are the old world, the old powerful, the old money, you want Mark Zuckerberg around after this? No. You tell him part of the story. And then he goes off somewhere like Hawaii or all those people building in New Zealand. New Zealand is a terrible idea. Well, Not Mark only is it going to get. Don't listen yeah. to this, Mark. Don't listen to it. <laughs> yeah. Not only is New Zealand going to get pounded by the waves, but Taupo is probably going to go off. It's number two on my list of scary volcanoes. The number one is Campi Flegri off the, off the coast of Italy. But after that, it's Taupo in New Zealand. Just what an awful place to be, in my opinion. And, and Hawaii is no better. Hawaii is no better. You, you basically have a choice if you're in Hawaii. You can either go down to the beach and die from the killer waves, or you can run up the mountain and die from the volcanoes when they all go off. So, But yet, Jeff Bezos, somebody told him the full story. Yeah, so tell me about this area. Yeah. Uh, am I at the right one here outside Miami? No. Okay, which one Jeff- are you referring to? I was going to say, that doesn't no. sound right to me. No. Are you talking so about Texas? Is- it's on the border of Texas and New Mexico. This is where he's building that big clock. Yes. Yeah. The big clock, which isn't why he's doing what he's doing. It's in the Sierra Diablo mountain. And on one side of a street is his blue origin launch facility. You know, it's not as, it's not as good as SpaceX, but Jeff Bezos has a space company too. So on one side of the street is the blue origin launch facility. And on the other side, he is hollowing out a mountain public story is that he's building a forever clock. I know people who have gone down there, who have spoken with the police, who have spoken with locals. He's doing so much more. For several years, there has been a constant night and day train of cement trucks coming in and out of that place. And so basically, Jeff Bezos is not only at high elevation, not only at the Rockies where you need to be, or you know, in the foothills of the Rockies, 
but he's making it so that just across the street from one another, he can either go down or he can go up. Let's look at who else is doing that. Elon Musk, SpaceX. He can go up any moment he wants. But what else does Elon Musk own? The boring company. He's digging tunnels everywhere. And so some people have the full story. Some people don't have the full story. But you know, when even Kim Kardashian is trying to build disaster bunkers. And Rick Ross. Did you see that? Yeah. I did see that. <laughs> Although I'm not sure anybody gave him the story. I think Rick Ross just noticed everybody yeah, right. else that was rich doing it. And he was like, I'm going to get on too. that. <laughs> yeah. Michaels, how's this resonating with you? This is your first time hearing some of this directly from a source that's been looking into it for a long time. What's on oh, your mind? Fantastic stuff. This is fantastic. I mean, I, I've been following this kind of material for quite some time already. And if you really want to go down another avenue, which I don't intend to right now, th there's a whole occult avenue that goes along with this quite nicely, oh, especially cool. when you deal with the spheres. I mean, just what you brought up, right? The Sierra Diablo Mountains. I mean, Devil Mountain. That's where he's building this. <laughs> this, this is related to why they're pushing a false mainstream climate narrative. This is related to what appears to be the intentional utter undercutting of the West, the intentional destruction of the global economy. This is related to COVID and whatever else with disease X that they're going to put out. This is related to the, they're not even hiding it, Satanism that is pushed in mainstream media, mainstream music, movies. All the, This is all related. And if it seems like they're being reckless, because they know there will be no reckoning. If it seems like they are no longer hiding in the shadows and no longer being patient and taking things incrementally, that they're going as fast as they can, spending like there's no tomorrow, it's because they know on a certain timeline there isn't one. And I think at some point, even though they've known this was coming, they realized how much closer it is than, than they had thought before. And now they're like, okay, to hell with secrecy. It doesn't matter anymore. Right. We just need to do all of this now. And they... They are absolutely Satanists. They yes. they worship Satan. I mean, this is more than just Bohemian Grove and some right. of the statues and symbolism. They actually believe this stuff, and they're trying to they're trying to make it a reality. I mean, I'd I'd love to go down that road with you, but <laughs> that's a, that's a podcast in itself. We, I won't we do it. We, we have time. We can go there, Chris. Oh. Go right ahead. <laughs> Uh, well, uh, well, I, I don't know if you've ever seen Gigi Young, anything on her YouTube channel, or you've read any Blavatsky or anything like that. So basically, mankind's progression, if we're trying to sum it up real quick, goes through a number of spheres and a number of awarenesses. Allegorically, that's tied to the planets, right? So at one point, mankind was incarnated on Saturn and Jupiter, and ultimately it goes to the sun and Venus and all that. So what this says to me is that even in those even in those stories or mythos however you want to place it they all validate what you're saying but it's on an occult level it's on an allegorical level and this is just completely in line with all of that it's very funny i'm in the process of studying blavatsky for a little bit and what's conspiracy theory today was a cult fact a century ago so i've always brought this up too and and it validates or you validated what I assumed. They're pushing for something and they're being reckless and they don't care anymore. So Absolutely. let me ask you this question. You, I, I think it was you that brought it up on Tim Pool's podcast 
there was a galactic wave moving through yeah. and it would create dust and it would actually be on the sun. Is that right? Was there dust on the sun? How did that go? So I guess we'll have to start at the beginning. <laughs> so anytime you have a spinning sphere magnet, whether this is in a lab, whether this is the sun, whether this is other stars, whether this is the Milky Way or other galaxies that they've looked at. Is this at. like a Taurus field or no? Sort of. So there's three components. There's the polar jets going north and south. There's a torus of plasma around it. And outside of that torus of plasma, there is a wavy, rippling current sheet. If you've heard people talk about the pole shift and the galactic plane, the galactic equator, it's completely wrong. That's not where the north versus the south, the galactic magnetic reversal takes place. It is in this rippling sheet. And so at any given point in the galaxy, it might be at the equator, it might be above the equator, it might be below the galactic equator. The sun's version of this is called the heliospheric current sheet. In the Milky Way, they know that the ripples are between 60 and 170 parsecs tall. And a parsec is, it's what, like, two light years. That's not exact, but they know the amplitude of the waves. They know the thickness of the waves, which is approximately a few 10 light year, a few tens of light years thick. And when you look around the, what actually happens, especially when we get hit with the sun's version of that, it is a complete magnetic reversal within the solar wind that the the electric field that the sun is projecting out in all directions. Now, when this happens at the galactic level, it affects the entire solar system. And Earth, believe it or not, is actually changing less than the sun, Venus, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, Neptune, and Pluto, and changing less than the interplanetary space, the space between the planets. Now, we could get into all of that if you like, but essentially all of it is indicative that there is a major magnetic change happening throughout our solar system. The other thing about this electric waving field is it's going to act like a Swiffer duster in space. All of the dust, some of the ambient gases, even some of the plasma is going to get swept up and pushed along with this galactic wave. And in the interplanetary space, one of the things we're seeing is there's far more dust. In Earth's atmosphere, there's 55% more dust than there was a century ago. And increasing winds lifting off the Sahara can only account for maybe 2 to 3% of that. They are already noticing there is more dust between the planets and already accumulating at the top of the atmosphere of the sun. Now, this is something that's only detectable with really high-powered scientific instrumentation. It's not something that is affecting how we look at the sun and how it appears to us just yet, but it's going to. Because while we are it, while we are taking the impact from that, remember, it's tens of light years thick. At the center of that wave is the actual galactic magnetic reversal point. And that's what's coming in the next couple of years to maybe two decades at most. When that happens, it's a magnetic null point, meaning no magnetism whatsoever when we are right there switching from positive to negative north to south it has to go past the zero line and when that happens so many of the processes on the sun are going to click off the luminosity going to click off that's how we get our days of darkness the solar wind outflow is going to be stifled which is what clears the dust right now all that dust is going to rapidly accumulate on the sun 
And then the wave passes, we're subjected to the other magnetic fields, the sun clicks back on, and all the stories of the great solar flash. The great solar flash is the breaking off of that dusty shell and sending it throughout the solar system. And that's probably what unlocks the crust from the mantle. That's probably where a lot of the burn marks come from. You know, that the vitrified sand, you know, the, the glass in the desert yeah. in the Middle East and other things like that. People are like, was there an ancient nuclear war? No, it was zapped by the sun. Yeah. And this is where that comes from. Everything from the stories of the thunderbolts of the gods. I mean, that much plasma hitting us sure. is going to create an arc discharge down to the ground, basically a super lightning bolt from the edge of space down to the earth. And it reminds me of the electronic universe or the electric universe. No, it, that, that, that's straight out of the electric universe. Yeah. And some of the best scientific evidence for this is by a man named Dr. Anthony Peratt, formerly of Los Alamos. He's got tons of great information on this. His papers are absolutely amazing. And he also talks about the cyclical event on the sun. Another good one to listen to on this is Dr. August Dunning, formerly from NASA, formerly from Caltech. He'll talk your ear off about the solar <laughs> micronova, which is basically what this is. It's like a nova event. It yeah. blasts out all directions, but it, it, it's a miniature version. It doesn't destroy the earth. It's still pretty bad. But essentially... This allows us to line up this event with biblical stories, Zoroastrian texts, the ancient in stories from India, and it happens to be what we would scientifically expect based on what this galactic current sheet, this waving field, which we know exists, which they've characterized and even measured to some degree here in the Milky Way and in other galaxies, would do to a star like the sun when it hits. What we're seeing throughout the solar system, the changes on all the planets, is exactly what you would expect to see when this is encountering a solar system. And so I would, this is actually a nice loop into one of the strangest aspects of all of this is science and scripture are lining up. Yeah. So long, you had to pick one. Okay, well, you can either go with science, you can go with scripture. Nope, they're telling the exact same story now. And that was one of the most incredible aspects of all of this for me, when I finally had to realize just how well they matched up. Yeah. I hadn't I worn, wanted this, to, worn this in years. I started wearing it again. I wanted you to say one thing. How long would that dust last on the sun? Three days. Exactly. So God's sun does yep. rise again rise after, again three, after days. three days. Yeah, Absolutely. S some of the best quotes on this are revelation 16 8 and the fourth angel poured out his vial upon the sun and the power was given unto him to scorch men with fire when the vial is poured on that's when the sun goes dark in the book of enoch chapter 65 this is about what happens right after that and noah saw the earth turned over and knew its destruction was near there's tons of that in isaiah as well but what's interesting is i actually think that the four horsemen of the apocalypse were an allegory for this I mean, I actually think that the four horsemen of the apocalypse are talking about the solar micronova. And so see if you can follow this. Do either of you remember the yellow sun? When I was a kid, the I sun was to yellow. Stare at it. It was yellow. You could look at it, yep. maybe not at the top of the sky, but the sun is white. The sun mm -hmm. is absolutely white now. And the first horse is white wearing a crown, right? Up at the top of the sky, if you can kind of squint and look up there, 
the rays shooting off of it look like the sun is wearing a crown. Well, what's the next horseman? The next horseman is red. And one of the things it does is it steals the civility from the people. When the dust begins to accumulate and the galactic magnetic reversal begins to shut down luminosity, the sun will turn red. And believe when that happens, there will be no more civility. Everyone's going to go completely berserk. And Chris, I know you're going to get this next part. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what is the third horseman? It's black and it carries the scales of justice, right? Well, when the sun goes black, do you know what will be illuminated? The plasma torus around the middle. So we're going to have a black sun, but we're going to see basically a line of the torus. And as the sun goes through the sky, it's going to appear to tilt like this, just like the scales would. What's the fourth horse? Pale. Yeah. And hell follows with it. Uh, name it set on it was death. Once the micronova blows, we will see that yellow sun again, but it will be paled out because we're looking through dust and plasma. We will see that yellow sun again, but hell follows with it. It's about to arrive at Earth. That's where the burning of the Earth occurs, the great cosmic discharge. Realizing just how well that matched up with what scientifically would be expected from our star, the sun, it's the kind of thing, you, it, there's too many coincidences to ignore, far too right. many to ignore. You know, d does this kind of coincide with all of the hieroglyphs of the, essentially, the red sun being cradled by maybe cow's horns or bull's horns all throughout the Middle East? It's Is this possible. from uh, that prior civilization from beyond 6,000 years ago? It's very possible. I like to throw in the fact that Pharaoh Khufu identified with the black sun and not the luminous sun. Mm. And so with some of these things, and believe it or not, with Egypt, that's actually one of the hardest ones to line up perfectly. They, they just had such a weird interpretation and take or depiction of all of these things. It's so much easier to look at ancient Hindu stuff or the Zoroastrian texts or, or even the Bible and see how well the, this stuff lines up. A lot, there's enough in Egypt to make you think, okay, they, they did know the story and they're trying to tell it as best they could. But it's, it's by far the most different of, mm -hmm. of all the ancient stories that there are. Hey, Chris, since we're on the religion side, I have a couple other places I want to go, but I want to stay here for a quick moment. When we talk about kind of like the grand plan, you and I get a lot of crap from some listeners when we talk about COVID-19 mRNA, but sure. you and I just shared an article with one another, uh, what, last week, the people that were getting this were having their belief in God turned off, that there's yeah. actually a scientific study that came out where people are looking now going, why did people lose their belief in God? after they receive the mRNA. And this isn't just like some like quackery type of paper. This is something where people had studied this through, I think it was close to 300 different individuals and they all reported similar findings. I'm kind of curious, Ben, why would they want to turn off a belief in God? Why would maybe people see that, hey, you know what? We can affect this region of the hemisphere of the brain magnetically through graphene oxide or something else, uh, what ended up possibly, what's the purpose of something like that? Well, that's the easy part. They're Satanists. This is what they're doing. This is what they want. 
The more interesting thing to think about is God's the greatest engineer. He didn't make this place so that he would have to toy with every atom and, and do this and do that. Well, if he sees us acting bad, he doesn't, he's not going to be like, Jesus, where's daddy's Jupiter sized lighter time to burn the earth. No, he set it up to work within the laws. And when I hear have the eyes to see what I think about is getting to know him, getting to know his works, which is math, nature, sacred geometry, resonance, frequencies, harmonics, things, how the universe actually works, which tells me that the connection between our bodies and our souls also has a mechanism in the physical world. Even if the soul itself is something beyond its connection to us and When you look at the DNA, the DNA is basically a cosmic antenna. It is a transmitter and it is a receiver. It is perfectly set up to be that and it makes perfect sense. Despite what some sources will say, this mRNA jab absolutely is affecting people's DNA. And I can't help but wonder if they found a way to divorce people from their souls. Oh, Chris, didn't we just talk about that last week? Yes, we did. Yeah, we We in fact said that those injections remove the connection. And if we're going down the road of AI, you have a lot of whistleblowers, particularly one from Google talking about their AI Lambda, which was programmed by a Kabbalist. And they talk about, yeah, right? <laughs> Which whistleblower was that? Uh, it wasn't, was it Zach Voorhees? Was that him? I don't think so. It was, Man, it was spelled I Lambda. I don't know him. He's awesome. But what's interesting is that they talk about, or this whistleblower claims, that a lot of people involved with AI believe that what we're looking at with UFOs are actually extra dimensionals. And if you look up a guy by the name, yeah, if you look up a guy by the name of Jordy Rose, he had something called Kindred AI back in 2017. He was on a talk and he said, yes, we're talking with people or beings that are extra dimensional and we're using AI as the medium. Are you familiar with with the stuff at CERN? Yes. The satanic what part? <laughs> yeah, yeah, what part, Ben? Yeah. <laughs> now you're speaking our language. <laughs> this is one where like, I can't work out the science and the math of how this would work, but the people involved, the symbolism involved, some of the rituals they did would suggest they're trying to open some kind of interdimensional portal for demons or something. Now, like I said, I dove down that rabbit hole. Whatever math and science that would be is beyond me. And I could be wrong. That might not be what they're doing. But given who these people are and the fact that this is what they believe in, this is what they worship, and given what we are seeing in the world today, it certainly would make a lot of sense that they succeeded because this world is becoming demonic. I mean, God is being replaced. Morality is being replaced. It's Androgen, androgyny is rampant, which is Baphomet right there, you know, incarnate. Don't, don't not even get me started on the green <laughs> and blue haired people. Okay. <laughs> do not even get me started on, on the hair dye. Ben, um, Ben, that is my favorite part. Hair <laughs> Chris, that is my favorite part about Ben coming over to the X platform. So Ben forever was only on YouTube. And then he like dipped his toe in Facebook for like six months. Basically he got, he got so like crazy with people. He's like, I'm out. Peace out. You guys can find me on Twitter. 
And then when Elon Musk took over, he really kind of hit his stride. And you guys can find him, Sun Weatherman, by the way, at Sun Weatherman. Make sure you go give him a, a follow as soon as you're hearing this. Don't, don't wait on that. But he takes it straight to stupidity, and I love it. Because I believe, and I just talked about this on my show a couple of days ago, that like male loneliness, right? Men are being attacked left and right by this feminist movement, by the blue haired people, whatever you may want to call the the individuals that are doing this. And as a result, it's successful in bringing the masculinity down in men. And I love the fact that Ben's out there still winning with the alpha male every single day, because we need more of that. And you don't do it in a way, Ben, that's like F you. I find that you do it as, Hey, you know what? This is a really low intelligence response. Let me show you why real quick. Move on. It's brilliant. And I love it. Keep it up. One of my favorite lead-ins to those arguments is this is one of the dumbest things I've ever seen. And I work on the internet now here. (laughs) Let me explain to you why. (laughs) So I wanted to bring up this theory about Neuralink and how this could relate to the electromagnetics of the universe, as well as to our brains. So I brought up a study recently with Michaels, maybe a month ago and Neuralink, what they are doing is attaching to these electrodes to a specific region of the brain in the monkeys. And they're trying to get a human to be able to attach these electrodes as well. I think that this is very nefarious. And the reason this is a terrible, it is the reason being is so when I'm teaching in the classroom about radio waves, I talk about both the light spectrum, the visible and invisible light spectrum, right? And then we can eventually see based upon those waves, which are all part of sunlight. When you get down to it, it's all part of what's going on in our universe. Uh, this is why I got attracted to your channel in the first place. Cause it's up my academic side. I believe that our brain waves, the Delta waves, the theta waves, the beta waves, Elon Musk and Neuralink would like to be able to attach these electrodes because once they can identify which waves are doing what for which function and which thought it's game over for humanity. At that point in time, they know everything about the universe, about individuals. They can implant thoughts wirelessly. They won't need you to be wired anymore. It will be a wireless communication to every single person's brain and you will be controlled. And I know that sounds like a horrible conspiracy theory, but mark my words. I know for a fact in my heart from studying this scientifically, it's not a conspiracy theory. This is a reality that could become true. I'm hoping you can tie it all together. No. Yeah. It's, it's absolutely true. And you know, I I think it would probably take them quite a bit of time to be able to learn all of that about all the different human brain waves. It's not like next week they're going to come out with this stuff and then all of a sudden they're going to know all of our thoughts and everything like that. But you make a good point is that potential is absolutely there. And to a certain extent, they've already got that. Some of the sensors and something like an iPhone, they're sensitive enough to pick up certain brain waves. And we just carry those around with us all the time. Like I know people who are like, I don't want the government tracking me. Hold on, let me text my friend here. <laughs> it's like, okay. Yeah. But you know, the thing I worry about most with Neuralink is something is Something like that blast on is likely to happen far before they're able to decode all the trillions of kinds of brain waves and amplitudes and wavelengths that there are. 
you have one of those in your head and you you take the induced current from a solar storm, this thing's going to start arcing inside of your brain, maybe melting in there. Just what a horrible idea. What a horrible idea. I can't believe this is a thing. Now, if we're talking about, you know, parts of the brain that are dead or parts of the spinal column that are dead, if we're talking about using this to reanimate people's legs, or if you're talking about, hey, this person is blind, we can send electrical signals to the brain and reactivate their sight. Mm -hmm. Okay, in a limited fashion, I could maybe understand the argument for some of these Neuralink technologies. But other than that, no, this is insane. It's completely nuts. Completely nuts. And I will say this. Was Elon Musk's father in charge of thinking about planning for something like the social credit score? And now Elon Musk is perfectly positioned to be so the arbiter of people's social credit scores. So and the, yeah, so Neuralink is right on point I, with that. I, I got to give credit to the Parzival. I'm not sure if you've ever seen the Parzival on X. Him and I have conversations a lot. He has the algorithm that is used on X, and he's pointed out a lot of things that are weaponized against users to Elon Musk. But the biggest thing that he pointed out incorrectly is that the social credit system is already built into X at this point in time, that all they have to do is turn it over to a currency, the central bank, digital currency, whatever it may be. And Elon is perfectly positioned at this point in time to be able to launch banks with information about every single human being on this planet, basically through a network of web of thoughts. And Grok is another yeah. vehicle to do so. It's, it's, it's bizarre. Bizarre describes our world, right? Yeah. Bizarre definitely describes our world right now. So, so here's why I wanted to go with that, Ben. So if, if Neuralink could possibly influence our thoughts through these brainwaves in the future wirelessly, when we have space weather, right? We have a weakening of the Earth's magnetic field, which you've been covering very well for at least the last 10 years. I've seen you really putting the data out there. What's that doing to people's mental health? How much of mental wellness for individuals can we blame on the magnetic field versus mm, being locked up certainly, for COVID, right? Like certainly a portion of it. Now, to be clear, I think diet has something to do with it. Right. They're poisoning our food. I think that media, entertainment, music, movies, TV shows, talking heads on the television, these have something to do with it. I think that I mean, th th there's a pattern that leads civilizations from, you know, bondage into spirituality, into democracy, into dependence, into fascism. Into, and there's part of that going on as well. It's not one thing or another. It's a confluence of factors. But one of those is Earth's weakening magnetic field. The number one impact that we are seeing down at ground level right now is more cosmic rays are coming into the atmosphere. That's just because the magnetic field, as it's weakening, it can't block out all of the cosmic rays from space. They have done so many studies on what these cosmic rays do to the human body, and there's tons of impacts on various physiological parts of our body, impacts on the heart, impacts on autoimmune diseases, impacts on skin health, impacts on eyes you name it, and it's there. But what's really interesting is what it, what it does to brain processes and psychology. 
they find two, two things above all else. One, it degrades the ability of the hippocampus to process, which basically means your cognitive abilities decline, which is a fun way of saying you get dumber. The other thing is that it excites the locus ceruleus, which is deep in there, but it's how your body reacts to terror, anxiety, panic, fear, and a little bit as well, and causes more emotional instability. So if it seems like the world is getting dumber, getting more emotionally unstable, and reacting out of fear and panic, you're right. And there's a scientific explanation for that, in addition to the fact that a lot of the ways that the world is acting right now is exactly how it says in the Bible and in the Quran that they're going to act. So again, we have science and spirituality linking up, say the same thing should be happening. The trigger mechanism is actually happening on earth. And what we would expect to see is actually unfolding at earth. Again, how many coincidences are we supposed to ignore? Yeah, one one of uh, we've had a lot of comments coming in during this. I haven't been putting them up, but hi everybody. Uh, thanks for putting stuff in. But narcissism, absolutely, narcissism is at a high. I mean, I, I've yet to go through my day over the last couple of years and not meet narcissistic individuals when I'm out. It's also mm. interesting. You said that Earth hasn't gone through the shifts as severely as the other planets in the solar system, right? Correct. So what was that planet that suddenly had hexagonal wind currents on its pole? Was that Saturn or Jupiter? Saturn. Saturn. Okay, so that's a pretty big deal if you ask me. It now, is, but it's not the it's not the freakiest thing that's been happening on the on the planets. Not even close. What's what's the freakiest thing that you've seen that's happening on the planets? Let's let's go there. It's a tough call. Pluto lost a fifth of its atmosphere in one year. Neptune's well-documented superstorms reverse direction, kind of like on Earth. Imagine if a hurricane formed off the coast of Florida and then went eastward across the Atlantic and slammed into Africa. Any weatherman will tell you, well, actually, because of Earth's physics, that can't actually happen. They have to go the other way. Okay, well, that's the same thing as true on Neptune, except it just happened. They reversed. <laughs> Uranus is having record storms, record auroras. Uh, Saturn... It, it's having those those hexagonal patterns at the polar region, but it also, for as long as we've been able to see it in telescopes, astronomers have noticed a superstorm that appears on Saturn every 30 years, except this last one just appeared 10 years early. There's a good rationale for that as well. And I don't want to spend too much time on these, but all the changes on these planets could be due to a changing magnetic situation from the galaxy. Jupiter, it's got cloud band changes. The great red spot is yeah. shrinking. It's got new storms popping up. Red Jr. was born out of nowhere. But most importantly, its radio frequencies are changing. What radio frequencies are coming from Jupiter? The electrons trapped in Jupiter's magnetic field are accelerated so fast that they actually sing in radio waves. But those radio waves have just recently changed. Either the nature of an electron has magically changed to Jupiter highly unlikely, or the magnetic field at Jupiter has changed. Mm. Mars, they now believe Mars' mantle is active and alive after decades and decades, and all of the evidence suggested that it was a dead planet completely. Well, the thing is, they weren't wrong. Mars is waking up, not to mention that its climate changes dwarf those on Earth. Venus's fastest winds are 33% faster than the first time they looked. Earth's fastest winds have increased 7 or 8%. The 
The sun's magnetic fields are changing. The sun's coronal chemistry is changing. For some reason, helium levels are going up. And by the way, when obscured through the space and the atmosphere, do you know what color helium looks? Red. Red. When they get even more helium, it's going to help the sun look red. So Earth is changing, but we are here. We can very, in a very detailed way, notice little changes in the atmosphere, in the temperature, in the humidity, in the rains, in the droughts, and things like that. These things happening on other planets are so phenomenally huge, we're able to notice them with Earth-bound telescopes, with satellites that are in Earth orbit. Some of them are coming from Juno and Cassini and Voyager, which actually flew out there. Yes, that is true. But these changes on the other planets are dwarfing and in the, and on the sun are dwarfing what we're seeing here on Earth. So that tells you this is something at the solar system scale that's happening. And I, the best explanation is that galactic magnetic field reversal, which I, is in the process of taking place. Chris, be, the be, reason Chris, why be, I, be, before you go there, let me just ask this because with him talking about that, uh, have you spoken with Graham Hancock directly, Ben? He is the only person in this community who won't talk to me, and I know why. Well, he, he spoke with me about you. Oh, did he? Yes. And he, I don't think he likes it very much. Are we I, spilling tea here? I mean, come on. <laughs> I'm not friends with the guy. And I asked a question after Ben was on my show and Graham had his Netflix special. And so I sent it out to the producer's team and I was like, Hey, can I get a rebuttal against what Ben is presenting here? What do you think happens? And he says, Ben is correct about there being an earth catastrophe cycle. He's 100% on board with it. And he's even right about how many years that it happens. But he's wrong about what's going on with what causes it. It's most definitely a comet asteroid impact. And the reason being is we're going through these fields of comets and asteroids every 6,000, 12,000 years that causes this to happen. So Ben, I had to share that with you because I wanted to get reaction to that. And I, I will find the message and, and for his, his team's message over to you. We can spot rogue planets light years away things that would take millions of years to get here. We can spot comets on 30, 70, 100,000 year orbits out in the Oort cloud. If there was such a field, we'd see that. It would be blatantly obvious. The counterpoint to that is sometimes we'd go through the field and get hit. Other times we'd go through and miss. But this is the same thing happening over and over and over again. Finally, the key evidence is that there are Nova-level isotopes in all of the sediment layers from these disasters. The kind of thing that even if you smack the Earth with a comet or an asteroid so big that it blew the Earth away and nothing was left, which obviously hasn't happened in the past because we're all still here, even something as big as that could not produce the kind of isotopes we are seeing. It requires a nova from a star. And, you know, I don't know if you've seen the evidence that we've put together that it could not have come from anywhere but the sun. Right. But there's all that evidence that it couldn't have come from anywhere from the sun, especially since some of these isotopes would have decayed by the time they got here. Yeah, yeah there are some like the iron isotopes and the aluminum isotopes that could have persisted, but some of the uranium ones couldn't have. They would have they would have decayed long before they ever got here to to the earth. And so, you know, 
I'm surprised Graham said anything nice to me at all uh, or nice about me at all. But he he didn't uh, say anything negative about you outside of, hey, nope, he's he's correct about this. But I disagree from this perspective. It's definitely a comet. It's definitely an asteroid. Well, I guess I guess I have to give him a little bit of respect for that because he and I very much disagree. You know, I met him once. It was the panel they said would never be repeated. The 2015 Conscious Life Expo in Los Angeles. George Norrie moderated a panel of me, Mm -hmm. Graham Hancock, Greg Braden, David Wilcock, and Nassim Harami. People were freaking out. People were like, this is amazing. I can't believe you are all here. But before the show, I was the last one to arrive in the what I'm calling the backstage area. It wasn't really a backstage area. It was really just kind of like around the corner. And they were all in a circle talking about how they could word their stories in a way that would promote each other's books, their excursions. You know how a a bunch of them, like they'll accept money and they'll like, they'll take you to Egypt or they'll take you to Turkey, things like that. They were all trying to figure out how they could work the crowd to promote each other. And I must've had a look on my face. Like I was going to start stacking bodies and Nassim saw it. Nassim looked at me and his face dropped because he could, he could clearly tell I'm not in on the game. And I was, I was looking pissed off. He was starting to try to push things in different directions. He's nudging Greg. He's nudging David and Greg Braden figured it out real quick because Greg looked at me and it's quite like he shut up. He didn't say another word. And Greg was actually really good on that, on that panel. Greg Braden, I think stole the show that day. But I don't know why I told that story. It's just that's no. the time I met Graham Hancock. And but, I didn't really have anything to say. Like, we didn't really chat or anything yeah, like that. I, I love the, the fact just seeing you smile here and that he actually responded to it. That that makes me feel like I did my journalistic duty tonight. That that was great. Hey, we, we have a comment that I, I think you're going to have a very interesting response to. And this actually, Chris Michaels and I were talking about your comment about this just a few days ago. This person, oh, I didn't mean to scroll that. Let me take the scroll off. Actually, I don't think I can. They manipulate the weather. They can make it rain, tornadoes, hurricanes. They probably have created the Novas too. You're not in that thought process whatsoever, correct? No. They, their most effective geoengineering application is cloud seeding, and it's about 4% effectiveness. After that would be stratospheric engine, stratospheric aerosol engineering, which would what people call chemtrails, that is 0.1% effective. Doesn't sound like a lot, but it does have, have an effect. The ionospheric heaters, they're at 0.0004% And the other thing is you can't hide those. Every ionosond, the critical frequency of the ionosphere, you can see what they're doing from every data station. I remember back when they were blasting harp, full on and you could see it but the most they ever did they managed to stall a high pressure system for about 15 minutes they can make it rain more in one location than it would have naturally they can diminish hail they can do these but they can't actually create that kind of thing one tornado unleashes more energy than a state uses in an entire year. You would literally have to be injecting that 
you, you can't do that chemically. You would have to be injecting that energetically into the atmosphere. And there's no hiding that. That would show up in everything from radar to ionosons to, again, digisons to the critical frequency, the total electron content in the atmosphere, which is very precisely measured by many, many stations, thousands of stations across the world. You would basically see the Schumann resonance. I mean, people talk about how the Schumann resonance is changing these days. Well, of course, because the Schumann resonance is a function of solar wind and lightning interacting with Earth's magnetic field. All of those things are changing right now. Yeah, the Schumann resonance is going to change. But take the changes you see right now. For them to inject that much energy into the atmosphere to create something like a tornado or a hurricane, take the changes in Schumann resonance that we've seen, multiply them by somewhere around 10 million, which we have not seen. That's what it would take to actually cause this. Now, again, I'm saying they can they can modify the weather, but so what you're saying what you hear is 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 lunacy and here's another thing i want to mention i didn't think that that panel at the conscious life expo with all those names i just mentioned was the right. highlight they put me on the chemtrail panel oh. and i gave a talk about how yes it is a real technology yes they are doing it but they're not doing it anywhere near as much as the internet says and they're not doing it for the reasons and with the severity that you hear about on the internet I got a standing ovation from Michael Murphy. Do you know who that is? No. He made the two films, What in the World Are They Spraying? and Why in the World Are They Spraying? Bet you remember at least one of those. Yes. He's, he, he's the guy who made the chemtrail thing popular. He heard me trying to say, whoa, guys, yes, yes, it's real, but you're all acting like morons, and you're actually doing us more harm than good by spreading this lunacy about weather modification. That man gave me a standing ovation because he knew it was the truth. And that's another thing August Dunning will, will, will tell you that, yes, it's real. They can do this. But the stuff you see from our own community who is against geoengineering, who hates the idea of playing God in the sky, they have no clue. And the last thing I'll mention on this is the single most credible whistleblower I have ever seen explained that when you spray aerosolized metallic oxides it's invisible if you're looking for white lines in the sky nope if you're looking for soupy looking skies nope and if you can see the airplane nope because you can't see an airplane in the stratosphere what they're doing when they do that it's up in the stratosphere you can't see the plane and you can't see the spray Maybe you're seeing cloud seeding when you see the white lines in the sky but there's also several reasons why Actual contrails should be bigger and lasting longer right now. Again, people hear this and they get super mad. I'm saying it's a real thing. (laughs) It's a real thing. It's just as a community at large on the internet, we suck at this. We're so bad at it. It, So, so bad at this. And it's, it's easy to fall into that when you don't understand the math, the physics, the chemistry of all of this. But it is what it is. So I've actually noticed something in the sky and I've been taking photos of it and some videos and I wasn't thinking we were going here. So I don't have it queued up. I just looked at my phone to see if I can airdrop it real quick. But Michaels, you've seen it to kind of back me up on this. Have you noticed where you're living any like dark lines going across the sky that are not related to shadows? Meaning that if I do a time lapse with my video, the dark shadow that's in the sky is moving with it. 
it's almost like a plane left a smoke trail that doesn't go away and travels the entire way. Is that something you've seen? Because I've been trying to figure out what the hell that is. I have seen a couple of them. And once, most, mostly when I was driving, once I saw one when I was actually out on a hike and I looked at where the sun was and I realized there was actually a lasting contrail and it was a projection from the sun onto the right. atmospheric boundary layer where there is actually, do you know anything okay. about atmospheric boundary yes, layers? Yes, that actually it, would make it, sense. It, I didn't think about that. It's the reason why clouds can be all puffy, but yep. it's like they're sitting on something yep. flat. That is a atmospheric pressure, density, and electrostatic boundary. And there's a there's a very sharp change in the humidity and air density at that level to the point where if the light is right, that absolutely can project a shadow. Whether or not that has anything to do with weather modification, I don't know. But I do know that these atmospheric boundary layers themselves are becoming more extreme as Earth's atmosphere is getting more juiced up and electrified, again, due to more electromagnetic cosmic rays that are coming in as Earth's magnetic field is weakening. Yeah, this is uh, Steve Malloy. You reposted this. I'm going to put this up on the screen right now. This right <laughs> I here, this. I, I, I thought was, this. I was so glad to see you put point this out because this was phenomenal data just put in front of everybody. Mm-hmm. Ben, I think it's pretty easy for everybody to be able to figure out that we were a lot warmer <laughs> in the past than we've been coming through hardly any climate change compared to what the earth normally does. And we also have yeah. an ebb and flow here, but can you explain this to people and the climate change versus what's going on in, in, in the earth and maybe this charging as well? Sure. We are coming, we are still coming out of the little ice age. The little ice age was freaking brutal on this planet. In fact, half of all of the recorded famines that ever hit our species occurred during the Little Ice Age. Literally half of ev- of all the famines known occurred in this tiny little window. We're still coming up out of that. Yeah, the earth better be warming. The most friendly to life periods on this planet was when CO2 was higher than it is now and when it was warmer than it is now. In fact, plants have been on the edge of starving for about 4 million years because there's been dropping CO2. Uh, This is a very good thing that we're adding more plant food to the atmosphere. But what you see here is what mainstream climate scientists are trying to erase. And a good source for this on Twitter or X, I can't call it X, it's Twitter. I know, it's Twitter still to me, I know. Tony Heller, what is his at? Who'd you just ask for? Tony Heller. Tony Heller? Hold on. You know who I'm talking about? Whatever his at is, we got to find that. Tony Heller. Tony Climate. At Tony Climate. At Tony Climate. At Tony Climate. Yeah, I'm going to pull up his page. I'll pull it up. His entire thing is he's got access to all of the old data before May, back when they were warning us, hey, you remember the 1970s? We're going into another ice age. We're going into another ice age. He's got every data set from back then, and he's comparing them to what they show the world now. And they are literally manipulating the data and erasing those past warm periods from the chart that you had on the screen before this that showed Mm -hmm. the medieval warming period, the Roman warming period, the Minoan warming period. They are erasing that somehow, making them lower and and inflating the modern temperatures to make it look like, oh, these 
The temperature is doing nothing but getting warmer. And this is record. We haven't seen anything like this. Complete nonsense. It was warmer several centuries ago. It was warmer a couple millennium ago. And Tony Heller's work in showing how they erase that is the best in the world, right? He's amazing. I I just gave him a follow because I wasn't familiar with him. And yeah, when we talk about the the life cycle of the earth, right? (laughs) We are simply a, a blimp blip on the radar of life. The earth will be here long after we have this conversation has been here long before we had this conversation. And quite honestly, our conversation is completely insignificant in the overall story of the earth that we're having here tonight. So yeah, 10,000 years is completely nothing, but there's a lot of people getting very rich off of all this. And I'm not sure if you remember, but if you go back to when I was in college and I've been, I think we're close to the same age. I might be a little older, but in like 1990, I'm four, I'll be 45 next week. So I feel like we're close 39. Yeah. I figured you were close. You're around Michael's age here. So in the nineties, late nineties, like 98, 99, I was kind of growing up with like the early internet dial up everything and everything from the newspaper started getting digitized and put on. When I was getting out of college, I could do research and journalism like you wouldn't believe by going back into the microfiche that had been digitized. Speaking of erasing the data for climate change, they're not just erasing the data for climate change. They're erasing the entire directories that all these newspapers put up years ago. And you can no longer find historical data except for the data that Google wants you to see. And DuckDuckGo isn't much better. So I I, I can't even say that there's like a better source for it. The history is being erased from people. Tony Heller's got a lot of those articles and he posts them regularly. He's got articles not only from the 70s, he's got articles from the 20s the teens he's got a couple i've seen from the late 1800s like the 1890s 1880s tony heller is is one if you're looking if you want to talk about the past and how they're screwing with the data tony heller is definitely your guy if you want to talk about how the sun and magnetic field of earth are actually impacting the weather and it's not co2 i'm your guy i i wrote the textbook weatherman's guide to the sun it is sitting in the office, seven or eight NASA scientists, a couple dozen professors, a bunch of them use them in their books. Uh, every year, I should say every semester, I'm invited to come via Zoom or something like that to actually talk to their classes. Uh, I do my best not to blow up their spot because that happened once and people found out that, that this professor was doing that. Let's just say he doesn't have tenure or a job at that university anymore. Nope. But yeah, I, I love, I, I love it. I love seeing, and you know, when it comes to a professor using it for class, I never make them, even though sometimes they, they request my books to be put in the bookstore. I always make the offer. Hey, tell me which parts you're looking to teach your class. I will just send you things you can print off for the class. Half of them do. Half of them are like, no, this is going in our bookstore. But yeah, it's it it's pretty remarkable how there is kind of a science underground that is developing at universities, at NASA, a little bit in the USGS, not so much in the European Space Agency. They are literally woke to death over there. But there is an awareness and a subculture, an underground, a 
science black ops almost, if you want to call it that. And that, that's where I would say half of my information actually comes from. It's because I'll get an email from a professor who's like, hey, I was talking to professor so-and-so in this department, asking him about some data I found that made me nervous. He told me to email you. And I was like, oh, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Here's an email of a guy at NASA you should be talking to. Yep. Or here's an email of a guy at this department you should be talking to. So, ben, it works the same way yep. in my, my world. All those people at this point. Yeah. yeah. Michaels knows this. I get some big, big journalist in my direct message box from time to time based upon interviews that I do, stories that I'm working on. And it's pretty comical. I've had a few tell me, I can't run this at this newspaper, but we have a side paper that people think is a little bit fringy and we're going to run the story there. And I have a pen name that it's going to be authored under. Meanwhile, this, these are people that are followed by like a hundred thousand people, which in the journalism world is a ton, uh, but they're publishing oh, yeah. under pen names with dangerous material that their editors would never let them. But the, the funny thing is these newspapers oh. own those. And a lot of people don't I realize didn't that. Know that. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yep. That, that sounds like very similar to what, Yep, a handful of NASA scientists and professors are, are doing w with me. That is so cool. Yep. I had no idea that that was a thing. Happens all the time. Huh. I, I can actually uh, I, off off offline. I will share with you a couple places and what they use. Yeah. And that's once not I blow up any no, spot once, right now, once I tell you, you're going to be like, "Oh wow, that's awesome! <laughs> it's it's great." Huh. Michaels, what do you got? You've been quiet for a while there. And I know I went into a different direction at one point, but you know, yeah. no, I didn't want to interrupt. You guys were spilling tea and gossiping. I didn't, you know, having some pillow talk. I didn't, you know, it was pretty interesting. We deserve that. <laughs> I wanted to go back to a question I had a while ago, okay. going back to the earth's atmosphere, not changing as rapidly as the other planets. Do you think it's actually kind of two parts? Do you think that these changes will, on a spiritual level, lead to a certain portion of enlightenment for people here on the planet? And two, do you think these climate changes and, and all that are tied to that awareness? In other words, the climate change and all this and the, and the galactic change will enhance awareness. And if that's the right. case, if, if there's a yes to that answer, do you think they're deadening the change? which would explain why Earth is not changing as rapidly as the other planets. So people don't like it when I say this because they, they're like, Ben, it sounds like you like weather modification. No. But yeah, one of the reasons is that they are doing everything they can to block this out. People here, they're spraying metallic oxides up there and they're like, metal, metal's conductive. They're, they're trying, but metallic oxides, oxidized metal, those are insulators. They block electricity. Uh, and so they're actually doing their best to keep the game going, to stay on top of the pyramid as long as they can, to grab as much money, resources, and power and control as they can. And so I guess in a tiny little way, we are benefiting from what they are doing. But the purpose of this is to benefit themselves. Now, as for the enlightenment of the population, the answer is yes. But for some, this is the separation of the wheat and the chaff right now, the NPCs from those with the eyes to see. And in terms of how they're all related, look at it like this. 
when a thunderstorm go when a thundercloud goes overhead, the consequences are you're gonna have lightning, the ground will be wet, and plants will grow more. The spiritual awakening, the climate change, the Schumann resonance, they're all last line of effects. It's like talking about the ground getting wet. But the reason is because the storm went overhead. The reason why there was lightning is the storm went overhead. The reason why the plants are growing is because the storm went overhead. The reason why these spiritual changes, these climate changes, all these other things are happening is because of the electromagnetic changes on this planet. And secondarily, how that is affecting how Earth's atmosphere interacts with the sun, solar flares, solar wind, the interplanetary magnetic field, things like that. Now, what do you think their obsession is with Mars? And is there any explanation that you have that Mars looks like it was hit by a whole bunch of water from the pole, right? A whole bunch of craters all over the place. And then when you go south, it kind of tapers off. What could you explain that at all? Do you know? I, think I mean, it a could lot be that dust thing that you, that you spoke about, too. I, I think a lot of the craters are actually electric discharges. I used to work with a guy named Billy Elverton and he would, he would strike arc plasma, basically throw lightning yeah. from, from capacitors, anode to cathode, things like that. At, when they would hit sediment, they would produce a crater in the exact same way as you'd see it from an impactor. I think their obsession with Mars is they know it's waking up. They know it's waking back up. And when that happens, there will be, a phenomenal amount of outgassing to replenish the atmosphere. There's going to be an enormous amount of liquid water as the planet warms up. You know, there's not only ice that they can see, but underneath the red surface soil is layers of actual frozen ice on Mars. And they see it as, as a potential new home. Right. Right. Yeah. That explains a lot. And that would also explain... The big push for central banking digital currencies. And I don't know if you've ever listened to Catherine Austin Fitz before. She is a brilliant, brilliant woman. She runs the Solari Report. Uh, and yeah. she has even suggested that they are now taking resources and storing them in the atmosphere and storing them in space. And you're going to have banking in space. And so she, she and Dr. Joseph Farrell, I'm not sure if you've ever heard of him, they talk about all of these derivatives sloshing around. And wouldn't you know it that the amount of derivatives that are owed and sloshing around are the exact amounts that they would supposedly get from mining asteroids, mining the moon, mining Mars. I mean, it, it's all very well put together. Right. <laughs> like, what are um, the odds? <laughs> yeah. Uh, essentially, the movie Elysium is real. It's just they're not they're not building some rotating space station out there. They're going to use the things that are already out there. Sure. The moon, Mars, things like that. It's perfectly feasible that they could be that in some of the things that they're launching into space, there's that kind of thing. I don't have any direct evidence. I wouldn't doubt it if somebody yeah. tried to say, hey, Ben, here's the evidence for it. I haven't seen that evidence. The technology is certainly there to do it. Problem with that is it's highly at risk up there. I mean, have you ever heard of a bit flip from a cosmic ray? No. They can turn zeros to ones and ones to zeros. Ah. And so there's some there's some potential issues there. Not to mention that 
you get even a, a micro particle piece of dust hitting this thing and you lose the entire thing. I wouldn't be putting them up there. I'd be putting them at the bottom of the ocean, deep under the ice in Antarctica. Did any of you guys see that tweet from, shoot, what was that, astro that astronaut's name? Armstrong, it's evil, that one? Yeah, it's evil, yep. uh, which he then deleted, but a bunch of people already had it. Yep. Here, here's something to think about. The Antarctic Treaty hasn't been broken. China, Russia, the United States, Britain, India, they're all still working together Operation down Paperclip. there on something. And it makes me think that a lot of the fighting that we hear about, that we see on the news, is theater. Because in reality, they're all working together on something they quite obviously think is vastly more important. Mm -hmm. And yeah. it's, it's very if, interesting. If you had to ask me where you would store that stuff, I'd be like, dig down deep in Antarctica. Th right. that, that's the best place to do it. There was a story that came out today that Jacques Cousteau's son, oh no, grandson at this point, he is going to be creating undersea basically apartment style observation facilities where people will live there. Why and he's not? going to be doing it all across the Caribbean. He's starting it off at Curacao off of the, in the ABC islands. And right now it's just being experimented with for about 60 feet, but he intends to do it all over the Caribbean. And then when we hear stories about, Oh, there was a, a Mayan style civilization that we found with LIDAR or, or sonar off the Northern coast of Cuba. What, what are we looking at? here? <laughs> so it's the same thing we're looking at off the Northern coast of Australia that was discovered just a couple weeks ago, a sunken civilization. Really? They, they found that, I mean, you could once upon a time walk from New Zealand to Australia and then North to Tonga, Samoa, Papua New Guinea, Indonesia, and then it sank catastrophically. That's true in the Caribbean. That's yeah. true off the northern coast of Australia. It's likely true in several other places as well. Have you guys ever seen that road that looks Did like it connects? Yet? Okay, yes. The answer is yes. <laughs> that was once above ground too. So, yeah. so, ben so I got to have Chris mention this to you, Ben, because he used to live out in Arizona. And since you're out west now, you can open your eyes for this. Chris, tell him about some of your uh, things that you saw in ancient civilizations in your time living in Arizona. Oh, okay. So in Arizona, well, actually all throughout the Midwest and then the Southwest going out to California, I was hiking one time just outside of Phoenix and I stumbled upon this mound of boulders and they all fit together way too perfectly. And they don't look like the rest of the landscape. I mean, Arizona is mostly craggy, brushy landscape. But then you see these mounds all over the place. And so I walked a little bit off the trail and I took a picture of this mound. And it was probably, probably like 15 to 30 feet tall off the ground. So you climbed up a little bit more and then there was more on top. I looked at this picture when I was done and I didn't mean to take it. But there is a very, very eroded face. And that face was about 10 or 15 feet tall on top of this mound. And then mm. there were these four foot, probably ovalish stones on top of this mound in a direct line. Very, very heavy. I could never lift them. Going in a direct arrow to Pinnacle Peak, which was 
another peak and hike to in Arizona. So I started to realize that, hey, wait a minute, are we in the midst of some antediluvian civilization? And then I started to take more trips outside of Phoenix to other areas. And you find these mounds of boulders. Sometimes they even have a post. So it's almost like the Lion King. Remember when they're holding up whatever that little lion cub and you've got the big rock that goes into the middle of nowhere. You find those things all over the place and you find boulders stacked on top of those. If you drive from Phoenix to San Diego, you drive through some of the Indian reservations. Some of those mounds out there are astonishing. And you could find masonry in the middle of the desert, in the middle of nowhere. And it actually extends eastward almost to Albuquerque. From Mm -hmm. Albuquerque over to California. And then you see these in Oregon as well. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you guys know the name Michael Steinbacher. He was my favorite Electric Universe guy. He died eight years ago now, but just before he died, it was actually one of the last things he did before the cancer basically put him down. He and I drove all over the West and he showed me everything. Yeah. Everything from the, the evidence that there was great ancient civilizations there to where the great waves washed up against a mountain range and slid back down it was the most incredible couple weeks I ever spent. And uh, Sedona he, is he crazy sh- if you ever have a chance to go. Oh, through. yeah. Sedona is crazy yeah. in more ways than one. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely having an effect on the local residents there. Oh, it is. It is. Yeah. All right. I met the Crystal Hedges skull when I lived out there. Not sure if you oh, ever know really? that. Oh, really? That's cool. Yeah. yeah. Very yeah. interesting. I asked it about Antarctica. And I got a very convoluted answer on it on Antarctica. <laughs> I bet you did. Yeah. <laughs> I bet you did. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't get the answer I was looking for, but <laughs> I did oh. get some word salad. <laughs> All right. Well, Michaels, I want to wrap up with uh, showing a brief clip of something that just happened a few days ago. And I want Ben to walk us through what we just missed because I follow this with oh. a radio station pretty heavily because I have to know what's going on with space weather, what our radio station is going to be doing day by day. And when I saw this, I was like, holy crap. And you sound so optimistic as you, as you're talking about, but I'm going to share this, but this is from the suspicious observers page. I play this little clip. I'm not going to play the whole thing. I'm just going to play. I want people to see this. Blast. You don't, you don't even need any sound really. Yeah. Nah. Yeah. I'll look at that. Let me rewind. Holy so crap. Can you zoom in on the earth scale? Yeah, this, this, uh, let me see if I can. Hold on one sec. I have trouble sometimes so zooming. Let, let, it go, let it go like maybe five or six seconds more because okay. I, I zoom in in the next frame. Yep. Yeah, okay. There it is. Right there. So if you can see a little dot in the middle of that Earth scale box, that little dot in the exact center of that box, that's the size of the Earth. And that white stuff is what came out of the sun. That's a plasma, plasma. blast. And it is... It is no, I mean, a coronal mass ejection, basically a rope of plasma just blasted away from the sun. And this is nowhere near as big as they can be. Luckily, as these satellites are looking from Earth orbit, you can see that this eruption is heading generally southward. The reason why the area where the sun is looks black is because this is an ultra sensitive visible light camera and they have an opaque blocking disc blocking the sun because otherwise the sun's brightness would just white out the entire image 
The goal was to block out the sun and see these plasma eruptions, not due to their own luminosity, but because they're so dense, they're actually reflecting sunlight that we can see. If this had been aimed at the earth, we would be back in the stone age about right now. And this just happened three days ago or three days ago. We would be back in the Stone Age. Every copper wire, every electric circuit, every transformer, cars, power grids, hospitals, water purification, cell phones, internet, all gone. And no way to come back. There's no vehicles. There's no manufacturing plants. There's no computers. There's no communication. It's just us, no 911. No food at the store after a couple of days. No gas. No ATMs. What do we do? This is our future. And as Earth's magnetic field continues to weaken, it's going to take less and less and less of a blast from the sun to actually send us back to the Stone Age. In fact, as bad as everything was that I was talking about earlier, the solar micronova, the magnetic pole shift, the actual crustal tilt where the Earth turns over 90 degrees, Most likely, on our way to that, something like this from the sun is going to knock out global power, and we're all just going to wake up one day. The lights aren't going on. Our phones aren't going to work. The internet's not going to be here. Our car's not going to start. We're going to be completely off-grid, everybody, all at once. 80 to 90% of humans are going to either starve, die of thirst, or waterborne illness within the first couple of months and it's going to be rough. So it's going to be, here's my question. So we, we see, I think it was 1853, the Carrington event, right? I I teach that in my curriculum 59. Correct. You know, we had the Western union lines that were being run back then to be able to have telegram and telegraph services. They all blew up, right? We had fires snapping and everything. When we now rely on satellites for GPS locations of airplanes, we're relying on all these electronics in our cars, all of that just gets fried in almost an instant, right? Like it's, it's, it's going to be a, a really bad day on earth. I'm just curious on the flip side of the earth, not the sun facing side. Will they have the same type of charge with the magnetic field around frying things or is it just, Okay. It is not based on what side of the earth is facing the sun. In fact, some, t- some of the induced currents are worse on the night side. Basically, what induces the current into the atmosphere and the ground is the electricity hitting the top of the sky. You know, people know what the northern lights are, the auroras, but they don't realize those are in a ring around the polar region. And the stronger the solar storm, the bigger, the thicker, the stronger, and the lower latitudes to which they, to which they extend. It is that energy, and it is in a full ring around the world, which simultaneously induces those electric currents downward all the way to the core. And this is the reason why it doesn't matter if it's 5 a.m., 5 p.m., midnight, noon. These solar storms impact everywhere all at once. Now, granted, some areas are more vulnerable than others, and this can be based on geology, the complexity of your local grid, other things like that, what magnetic latitude you are. But in the big one, the really big one, the entire earth is going to fry like that. People's pacemakers are going to fail inside of their bodies kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
it's going to be absolutely brutal. And so here's the the reality check that I want to give listeners. And this is not going to be kumbaya by any means. So we've talked about two different concepts. The concept that you've presented on, on your channel for a while, the solar micronova, which is partly responsible for this 90 degree tilt and tying to Chan Thomas and the Adam and Eve story, right? Having the right. really bad couple days here on earth, but it's a global extinction except for certain areas of the earth that are able to carry on civilization. We also now have not had a Carrington event at that level aimed at the earth. And when I saw this, I was going, oh, this is a Carrington event plus maybe a few up beyond that. I've never seen anything as impressive on your channel as that. And I'm curious, what's going to happen first? Is it going to be a solar flare sends us back to the stone age or are we going to go through the day of hell? What, what do you feel is the most likely thing? The most likely thing is something sub-Carrington level is going to act like a Carrington event because Earth's magnetic field continues weakening. You know, from 1859 to the year 2000, we lost 10% of our magnetic field, about 150 years. They upped that to 15% in 2010, and then they stopped giving us the data. We're down 20, 25, maybe 30% now. When we get down 50, 60%, it's just going to take a little blip from the sun. I, I've said that people should be prepared for 10 years of no electricity off-grid life and then the solar micronova and the world turns over. A absolutely brutal cosmic version of a Super Bowl we've got here on deck. Yeah, and look at the what a time to be alive, they say. <laughs> absolutely. So get your helmet on. Yeah, exactly. Get my homeowner's insurance uh lined up for that one. <laughs> <laughs> not going to need it. Yeah. So, well, you know, especially huh, it, homeowners insurance won't help, but every home that has copper wire in it, every home that's electrified, yeah. it's at risk of catching fire during this event. Correct. Correct. Like, that doesn't mean every single home is going to burn down, but it's possible. But it's possible. It's possible. To have a, every a, home, yeah. every home is a fire risk. Every car is a fire risk. Every storage container is an electric arc slash an oven inside risk metal fillings titanium on people's inside people's oh, bodies I never thought about the titanium i'm screwed Neuralink. anything metal could either melt or have arc discharges basically right. shoot lightning out of it so hmm. it's it's gonna be a rough one it's gonna yeah. be rough yeah all right so we're coming to a solar maximum right now so obviously yep, almost our risk is going to increase for another nine months, maybe a year, maybe 18 months. And and then stay there. Well, it's going to increase over the next six months and stay at okay. that peak level for probably a year and a half to, yep. to three years. It's You can never tell how long sunspot maximum is going to last. Right. But I would say over the next two to four years is when we are at the most risk. I'm hoping we get through that. Yeah, me too. Whether we can get through next cycle as well, 11 years from now, you know, we could be down 40, 45, 50% in the magnetic field by that time, at which point it's really not looking good. And, you know, I guess one of the last things to end on is the perhaps the scariest sign of the shift since they have stopped actually updating us on how weak the magnetic field is. We shattered the Aurora record in 2023. 
shattered it. You know, it used to be that maybe once or twice a solar cycle, we would get a, a, a blast from the sun that was big enough to send the auroras down to lower latitude, visible in Florida, Arizona, Texas, maybe once or twice every 10 to 11 year cycle. It happened seven times yeah. in 2023. And none of them were made were, were big solar blasts. I mean, we're in the past, we're talking X5, X10 solar flares. They happened from M-class solar flares or little plasma filaments. We're talking, we we shattered the auroral record on this planet, and you can't blame the sun because the sun was just little things, little things, but Earth couldn't handle it. And that's because our protection is disappearing. That that was probably the best video I did in 2023. Now you have a, a yeah, just so listeners know and viewers that are watching at home right now, the Suspicious Observer page on YouTube is a treasure trove. And I, I, I really mean that. Like, Ben, like you've created an incredible archive, and I'm thankful. Thank you, YouTube, for the one thing you have not screwed with completely and taken anything down. Thank you, thank you. I was worried about like six years ago with Neil deGrasse Tyson appearing on your videos. I was like, oh no, did the platform in them. But Ben has done a great job of taking kind of his life's work of the last almost two decades and bringing it down. Now he's doing these videos where he's saying, this is what you need to know. If you got no time to watch everything on the page, watch these videos, everything from the earth catastrophe cycle, everything from how solar flares work, what is an M class X class, what's the KP index. You can learn about all of that right on that page. I also know a few of my listeners purchased your textbook last time you were on December, 2022, because I got photos sent of them reading the book and they sent it to me, the, the textbook, which was really awesome. So if you want to purchase that as well, purchase that book. It's a, it's a great academic study for, for the listeners. Ben, you just did Tim Pool. We had this lined up before I even knew you were doing that show. But to me, as being part of the Suspicious Observer community, in a sense, of just watching it grow, it is awesome to see yeah. this taking off and being able to bring this to other people. So you know, the information's out there, the science is out there. And the best part you're going to find about following Ben is he's going to cite all the papers, every single video. You're not getting a guy that's quackery that's going, this is what I think is going on with the sun, which is what a lot of these frauds are doing online right now that you're seeing. Ben is going to give you the papers and say, Hey, you got nothing to worry about this week. See this like chill out, everybody. All is good. No fear. Eyes open, right? We're, we're moving forward. I love that. You're ending too. Right on. So, you know, thanks for making the time to be here with Chris and I, I think we covered a huge part of topics. I can't wait to see what the, the, the feedback's going to be on this and what people want to know, but I'd love to bring you back. As I said, last time too. get you back on the show as more stuff starts happening and you get more information. We'll continue to update listeners on the America out loud network, as well as through my American emboldened audience. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you for the invitation. It was really, it was nice to see you again. And Chris, it was great to meet you. Had great a, to had meet you time. too. Thanks. All right, Bold Americans, that wraps up yet another episode. What a show today was. I highly recommend if you're listening to this on audio, you go over to Rumble 
or YouTube and type in America emboldened and watch the video of this. Check out the graphics that back up and also make sure you go over the suspicious observers with a zero for observers when it's spelled and subscribe to that channel. Go to spaceweathernews.com where you can learn more about everything that Ben's been talking about. See those graphics, learn the science behind what he was stating today. I think that's very important. Before you write any of this off, if you're a skeptic in some way, shape or form, make sure you actually go and read the science first and foremost before you judge. You've been listening to America Emboldened with Greg Bolden, Chris Michaels, and our special guest, Ben Davidson. I hope you all have a great rest of your day. Be bold, America. Uh-huh.